Right, I'd like to, um, for a number of reasons, I'd like to kind of go back to basics and start with the uh, some of the some of the basics of of the Buddha's teachings. And one of the intentions with it is to um, to give. Um, there are a number of you who are quite new to the teachings and new to the practice, and I'd like to try and give a, a bit of context. <coughs> Excuse me, a bit of context, and perhaps a bit of a sense of direction of where where the practice is going. And um, and for those of you who have who've heard all this before and um, who are familiar with it, I'd just like to encourage you to listen with beginner's ears and beginner's mind. It's um, it's uh, it 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 can be, an, and I'm sure you've you've had this experience. It's like you watch a movie for the second time and you see different things. You things you notice things that you hadn't noticed the first time, and you watch it for a third time, and you see something different again. Or you read a book, and then you read the book again sometime later, and and something just stands out for you in a different way, you know, or something that didn't stand out for you at all. So the more we can bring this beginner's mind, the more possibility there is of of seeing things in a different way. So um, I'd like to begin just by referring back um, Friday Friday evening, probably the, the opening on Friday evening, probably feels like a long time ago. <laughs> it's been two very full-on days of sitting and qigong and sitting and qigong and eating and sitting and walking and qigong and... Um, and maybe feels like not a lot of sleep, um, but um, but and and also at the the opening on Friday, uh, most of us are quite tired, and there's a lot of information to take in. And um, I think um, sometimes I wonder if it's if there's even a point in it. The doubting mind comes in, you know, how much of it actually gets remembered or retained. Um, but you may remember that the um, the very first thing that was mentioned at the opening was um, actually Gerald um, mentioned or listed the the five precepts and and spoke a little bit about how the precepts and how the the ethical life is is the foundation of of the practice and um, and then I spoke a little bit more about that. And and I I'd kind of like to like to go through what the Buddha taught and and when he generally when someone new came to the Buddha for teachings the first thing he taught was the ethics he taught about the ethical life and and he said this is the foundation without this it's very difficult to to make progress we could say. And and I think it's I think it's kind of apparent if we're um, if we're going around um, killing and lying and stealing and living our lives in a <coughs> kind of a drunken stupor, it's 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 not exactly the kinds of the kind of way of living that supports calmness and and clarity of seeing and um, and and wisdom. And so the 
So for this reason, and also as a, as I mentioned, as I spoke about on Friday, the having the precepts as as a support, and having the precepts as providing um, um, a, a, a sense of safety, a container of safety. And so for all these reasons, he would begin his teaching with with the precepts and with with the the ethical life and and then people would go off and you know and mull over this and reflect on this and look at their own lives and see how they're living their lives and how's how's it affecting others and and that's that's an important aspect of the ethical life is that is is the way that our words and actions impact on others and how our words and our actions can contribute to the suffering of others as well as to ourselves or can contribute to the 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 easing and the ending of suffering for ourselves and others and so he began with 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 discussing and talking about and teaching about the ethical life. And then the um, the next thing, so the people would go off and then they would come back to him for more teachings and say, okay, now we're ready for the real thing. And um, and the next thing he would teach generally was about generosity. And um, and and generosity is is also um, important as a, as a foundation, as a basis, because generosity the 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 practice of generosity really um, demonstrates to us and teaches us about letting go. That's really what generosity is. Generosity is it's it's letting go. It's it's the antidote to holding on, holding back. It's the it's the the opening of the hand rather than the clenching of the fist. And and so he would he would teach about generosity as uh, as a means for teaching about learning to just just start to get a sense of what it means to to let go to 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 be non greedy non selfish <coughs> and and in the in the in the practice of generosity. It, if if we really practice, take generosity as a practice and start to really give attention to us, it shows us the areas where we're holding back for ourselves, where we're being selfish, where we're being greedy. And then we can start to come to understand and start to recognize and understand patterns of who we are and how we are and, and again, how we impact on others. And... Um, it's interesting. He he also taught about the generosity of receiving, how receiving is an act of generosity. So when when someone offers something to us, if we can freely and gracefully accept that, it's it's supporting that person. It's an act of generosity in that it's supporting that person in their practice of generosity. And and so the so the the generosity and the, and the letting go goes both ways, and it and it seems very often that that the generosity of receiving for so many of us the generosity of receiving is far more difficult than the generosity of giving. 
and uh, and it, it it shows that there's 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 something there there's some there's some holding in there somewhere and so a very good practice again for 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 cultivating the letting go and for cultivating the um for 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 real it really is a as a means, as a skillful means of looking into selfishness and self-centeredness, and as we'll come to see, a lot of the the Buddha's a lot of the Buddha's teachings, and and really the core of the Buddha's teachings, is is understanding and releasing, being free from this self-centeredness. So generosity, and then. People would go off and practice their generosity, and then they'd come back to the Buddha and make a big offering to the Buddha as a show of their generosity. <laughs> and then, um, and then, and then the Buddha would would go into um, what's considered to be the actual teachings. And the teachings, the teachings begin the 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 kind of the formal structured teachings. Of the Buddha begin with a statement which is um, at, at, at the same time very obvious and yet very profound and a very unusual place to start, I think, but um, but very effective. And he begins he begins the teachings with a statement that in life we experience dukkha. And this word dukkha, some of you are quite familiar with it. Actually, all of us are familiar with it. <laughs> uh, not necessarily familiar with what it means, but we're familiar with it. Um, so this word dukkha, uh, a Pali word, and it's most commonly translated as suffering. So the statement that we most commonly see is, in life we experience suffering. And in a sense, it's pretty obvious, but but a lot of people would say, "I don't suffer. I'm not suffering. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I've got a happy life. I'm not suffering." And so, it's important to 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 get a sense of what what the Buddha really means, what this word dukkha really means, and and what it means. Um, some some other translations of the word. That give a sense. I think when you when you put all the different translations together, you get a sense of what the word actually means. And so, some of the other translations are unsatisfactoriness or dissatisfaction. So, whenever we're experiencing dissatisfaction with something, we're experiencing dukkha. Um, a, a, a translation that's um, that's getting to be more, used more and more, that's much more contemporary, is stress. When we're experiencing stress, we're experiencing dukkha. So, is anyone here who has never experienced dukkha? <laughs> so, stress. So, anguish, angst, conflict. These are all words that can be used to define and to describe dukkha and um, and the 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 buddha the buddha gave quite detailed description of of what he meant by dukkha and he said um, he said in birth there is dukkha in aging there is dukkha in illness there is dukkha in death 
there is dukkha. And, and then he went on and he said, dukkha is not getting what we want. And dukkha is getting what we don't want. So when we, when we put all these pieces together, I think we get a, a sense of the, the breadth and the scope of what dukkha is, and, and also a sense of the kind of the layers of it, the degrees of it. So there's the very obvious suffering, and, and, and then there's, there's the, the much more subtle, the much more subtle dissatisfactions in life, disgruntledness, wanting, wanting something to be different than it is. You know, wanting my meditation experience to be different than it is. Wanting, um, wanting lunch to be different than it is. Wanting um, anything, <laughs> you know. And you can, you can, you can fill in. I'm, I'm sure if you if you reflect on the day, you can you can come up with lots of examples from today when you wanted something to be different than it was. I think we have no problem with that. And, and so we have no problem with, with recognizing this fact that we do experience dukkha. And, and, and when we look at it in that way, it's very obvious. It's very obvious. But the, the, Buddha, the Buddha went on and, and he said that this, this fact of experiencing dukkha is to be known. It's to be known. So it's not just to kind of say, oh yes, I experienced dukkha, but to, to really know it. And, and in this statement, he's, he's inviting us, he's inviting us to allow for the experience of dukkha. Our, 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 our natural, our, I wouldn't say natural, our normal, usual, habitual response to dukkha is just, I want to get rid of it. I don't want it. You know, I want to get that thing that I want. I want to get it so I'll feel good. Or when I've got something that I don't like, I want to get rid of it. And as soon as I get rid of it, you know, this pain in the knee, if it would just go away, then I could really meditate. And, and, the, and the struggle, the struggle, and, and, and it's, it's really, it, it's the struggle that's the dukkha, the struggle to get and the struggle to get rid of. This is the dukkha, and and so when we, when we're faced with something that we when, when we're faced with a situation where we're getting something that we don't want or we're not getting what we want, we struggle to either get it or not get it or get rid of it, and we create the dukkha in this struggle, and yet this is our habitual way of dealing with dukkha and so we keep perpetuating it and sometimes sometimes I want something and I struggle and I finally get it and I feel good and that reinforces the belief that if I get everything I want then I'm going to be happy but I think we've all noticed that we get what we want and then the mind finds something else to want. <laughs> or the advertising plants something in our minds and, 
and decides for us that we want it. There's always more things. There's, there's countless things. There are, there are people earning huge amounts of money dreaming up new things for us to want. <laughs> and our minds can always find something to want to get rid of or that we feel we need to get rid of. You know, from, from, uh, from very simple, obvious things like a, a pain in the knee to psychological issues, to um, people around us, to where we live, just all kinds of things that this, this sense that, well, if I could just get rid of that, then I'd be happy. But we can always find more things to get rid of, just as we can always find more things to get. And so this, the, the getting and the getting rid of can give a temporary sense of relief, a temporary sense of the ending of the dukkha. But it's not, it's not really. It's like, it's like going out in the garden. When you, you go out in the garden and there's all these weeds and you can go along and you can just kind of cut the weeds off at the ground level. And then you step back and you look and you say, ah, oh, weeds are all gone beautiful garden and you go away and a couple of days later you come back and there they are right back and and so to to really be weed free they have to be pulled out by the roots it's not enough just to temporarily cut them off and this 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 getting and getting rid of just temporarily cuts it off and 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 so the so the, the Buddha encouraged us to really examine our lives and to really open to the fact of dukkha, to take a completely different approach, rather than trying to get rid of it. Take the approach of okay, let's let's see what happens if I allow it. Let me explore this. Let me give attention to it and 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 come to understand. See, see if I can come to some understanding about dukkha. And perhaps in that understanding, there will be a key to the ending of it. And to to a very large extent in 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 the meditation, this is what we're encouraging. We're encouraging when dukkha shows. And we're we're not we're not encouraging you to in, intentionally create dukkha, <laughs> but we don't have to do that. <laughs> we don't need to create it. It shows. It shows. And and so the encouragement is and 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 the, and the practice is when it shows. And 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 one thing about it is is to is to recognize that it doesn't always show that. There are times. It's not the this, this first statement is is often translated as life is dukkha, and that's not an accurate translation because we do have times when we're not experiencing dukkha. We do have times when we feel freedom from dukkha. We do have moments of 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 letting go when there is the release. We have moments when we experience joy. 
when we experience happiness, when we experience connection. But in these moments of dukkha show, to be able to, to, to have the interest, to have the curiosity, and to have the willingness to just say, ah, yes, this is dukkha. Let me let me let me see to what extent can I can I really open and really accept that yes there is dukkha here and to get to know it to know dukkha to understand it and and as i've said the only way the the, the only way to understand something is by staying with it if we're trying to get rid of it trying to push it away we'll never understand it It's like studying for an exam. If you keep closing the books and pushing them away because you don't like the subject, you'll never pass the exam. If you want to, if you want to know the material and understand it, you have to leave the book open and stay with it. And so when the dukkha shows, we, we give encouragement to as much as possible to to allow it allow it to be, and um, and of course we 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 take a middle path, so it's not to be pushing and forcing because that's just more, you know, trying to get the trying to get. It's more it's more a question. It's more a, a situation of allowing rather than trying to get. So it's it's opening and being being available with the dukkha and allowing it to show us something, allowing the understanding to come, and the understanding that comes hopefully is around what's causing the dukkha. What's causing? What's the cause? What's the underlying cause of dukkha? And when we when we look at our experiences of dukkha, our our tendency our tendency is to look out there and say that's the cause, he's the cause, she's the cause, and we we find we find a cause out there, and that becomes the thing that we try to get or get rid of, and so the attention goes out there to the objects, to the things around us, or the people around us. And, um, and, and what, but what the, what the Buddha is saying, this is futile. And, and, and it's, you know, it's not dependent on the Buddha saying it. I think we can, we can recognize it. It's futile because we can never get rid of everything that we don't like, and we can never get everything that we want. We're not that powerful. We don't have that much control. So the Buddha is saying, allow, open to it. And when we allow and open to it and really open to what's what's happening in the process of dukkha, what's happening, we come to the Buddha's next statement, his next statement is the cause of dukkha. It's not the thing out there. The cause of dukkha is right here. 
It's right here. The underlying cause of dukkha, the 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 Buddha the Buddha describes as craving and clinging. Craving and clinging. The the so the the, the craving, the the underlying cause of dukkha is the craving, the obsessing to get or get rid of. The craving to get and the craving to get rid of. And that 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 craving to get and get rid of becomes the struggle to get to get rid of. And then the clinging, the clinging is once we've got what we wanted, we hold on to it. We want to keep it. I want to keep it. It's mine. It's mine. And that that clinging that clinging is also dukkha, and and it's and it's it's dukkha, and the, and the the dukkha comes from the clinging because things change. And there are the 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 the, the dukkha has been categorized into different types of dukkha. There's there's three basic types of dukkha, and and one of the types of dukkha. One of the categories of dukkha, and I think, I think the one that that probably shows most obviously to us, and that we we experience most frequently and most clearly, although it's not the most pervasive one, but the one that stands out for us most is is it's called the dukkha of change. The dukkha of change. Things change. So often, when we don't want them to change, we want things to stay the same as they are when we get them. You know, so we get a we get a new car, and the first time there's a little scratch on it. Oh, it's not new anymore. Or we get a new computer, and the first time it crashes. Oh, <laughs> Thing, things things change. But we want them to stay constant. We want things to stay constant. We want to know that we can rely on something. But our experience shows us we can't because things change. And because of the attempt to hold on and to keep things from changing, we experience dukkha. And we hold on to all kinds of things. So we hold on to things. We get attached to, we cling to things like cars and computers. But we also cling to things like people, friends, partners. We, we cling to jobs. Even, can't tell you how many people I know who are in jobs that they absolutely hate, are miserable in their jobs, and yet... They hold on to them. They hold on to them because, oh, I can't give up my pension. Or what if I can't find another job? And just cling to the dukkha. So we cling to jobs. We cling to ideas and beliefs about so many things. We have ideas and we just hold on to them. And if 
<coughs> if, if something comes along to question or to challenge that idea or the belief, no, 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 no. We just hold on and we experience dukkha. So this, this craving and the clinging, the obsessing to get and to get rid of, and the clinging. And, and, the, and the clinging, is, it's not just the clinging to things that we get, it's also when we get rid of things, then we cling to keeping them away. It's kind of a, a, kind of a reverse clinging. We cling, to the, the, we cling to the wanting to not have them, for them to not come back. And then when they come back, and sometimes we see in our experience, it's almost like the more we don't want something, the more we get it. <laughs> and it's like life keeps offering us opportunities to, to really explore, to really examine this, this process. So the craving and the clinging. And then the, the Buddha the Buddha makes, um, makes a, a statement, a very profound statement, um, in, um, when, when he goes through this, this list of things that are dukkha, birth, death, a, birth, aging, sickness, death, getting what we don't want, not getting what we want. Then he makes a statement. He says, he says in summary, um, I'm not going to go into the details, but he said, basically he says, in summary, dukkha is clinging to this image of self. Dukkha is clinging to this 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 fixing of me. Clinging to myself. And we we cling we cling to we cling to ideas and beliefs about who we are. And the other the other clingings, the other cravings and clingings, for the most part, are craving for craving to get things and to get rid of things that will, in some way, substantiate or perpetuate or give validity to this self. So I have an idea about who I am, and if something comes along and and validates that, oh, that's great, that's wonderful, I agree with that. If something comes along to challenge it or question it, no, 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 reject that. And, and, and so we, we, we cling to get and to get rid of things to, to validate this sense of who I am. And so the, the sense the sense of who I am, this, this idea, this image of who I am, and I'll come back to this later, um, probably not this evening, but later in the retreat, we'll come back to this in more, much more detail. But this, 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 this clinging to sense of self gives rise to these other clingings. And we cling to an idea of ourselves. We cling to, um, to this a belief that this is who I am, this is how I am, even though there's so much dukkha and we see the dukkha in it. It just becomes so hard to just to let go of that clinging and to let go of the ideas and the beliefs, 
to let go of the wantings and the not wantings. And of course, if the cause of dukkha, if the underlying cause of dukkha is the craving and the clinging, then, as the Buddha points out, the ending of dukkha, the ending of dukkha lies in the ending of this craving and clinging. The ending of the craving and clinging. The, the releasing from that. And we see this. We, we see this in our experience. I'm, I'm sure all of us have, have, have seen it in our experience where we've, we've recognized something that we're holding on to. I recognize something. I'm holding on to this, and I'm and I, I'm stuck in this. You just feel stuck in it, and and somehow, somehow, and 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 in the being stuck in it, we see the unsatisfactoriness of it. We see that we feel it. We don't see it. We feel it. We feel it in our very being. We feel the unsatisfactoriness of it, and somehow we're able to just, ah, I don't have to keep holding on to that. I can just release that. And it's released, or, or we don't even, sometimes it's not even a matter of seeing that and thinking it and saying it. Sometimes the release just somehow just happens. And in that moment of release, we feel the freedom. We feel the ending of the dukkha. And it's such a relief. And it's just, oh, oh. And sometimes with some things, this, this, this process is very obvious and it happens very easily. And yet for some things, sometimes, no matter how strong the dukkha is, no matter how clearly we see it, sometimes we just don't seem to be able to let go. It's like the the clinging is so tight. There's a in in um, in in India. I've never seen this actually myself, but I've been told that it's it's true. In India, they um, they 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 still do. They trap monkeys, and and the way they make the trap is they they take a coconut and they they drill a hole in it. It's just big enough for a monkey's hand, a monkey's paw to go in, and they put some sweets in inside the coconut. And the monkey reaches in and grabs the sweet and then tries to take it, but the fist won't come out the same hole. And the monkey won't let go of the sweet. And so he's stuck there. And then the people who set the trap just come along and scoop up the monkey, and they've got the monkey. And so the the monkey, you know, and the, and, and I'm sure the monkey knows that that's going to happen because he's probably seen it happen to some of his buddies, <laughs> and uh, or he'll see the see the see the person coming and still hold on, just hold on. And it's like that. We see we see the danger in something. And we still hold on. <clears throat> and so, so, um, so uh, uh, 
another 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 piece of the a piece of the practice a piece of the the meditation practice is this learning first of all to recognize dukkha but learning learning how it is to have that release and so when we're when we're sitting when we're sitting and a pain shows or a mind state shows or an unpleasant sound shows to 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 explore how it is just to open to that and and often we see that just in that act of opening there is a release in that act of opening there's the absence of the craving and the clinging wanting to get or get rid of and the, the holding on to it. And so so we 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 cultivate this this knowing and the more the more we give attention to it, the more we open to it, the more it kind of sinks into our beings, into our brains and our hearts <laughs> that the holding is the cause and the ending of the dukkha is just to just ah, and we see the process over and over and over again. And we can ask ask ourselves the question: How many times do I want to bang my head against the wall before I stop? <laughs> so we begin with this statement that we experience dukkha. And we really give attention to this and, and, and give attention to it with the intention of coming to this understanding, coming to really understand, to, to know dukkha, and particularly to know the cause. And, and, and it's, 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 it's really important to, to understand, and, you know, and I know on one level it's easy to understand, but we easily forget or um, or kind of disregard, but we're we're putting very much emphasis on the mindfulness of the body, on the actual experience of what's happening, and the reason for this is because this and and I mentioned this, I think I mentioned this the other night, the other day, um, yeah, on Saturday morning, I mentioned how. The, the insight, the understanding, the real, the, the deep and the profound and the life-transforming knowing doesn't come from thinking about and figuring it out. It arises out of the experience. It arises out of our experience. So we can, we can know something intellectually. We can say intellectually, yes, I experienced dukkha, and, and yes, the cause of dukkha is craving and clinging, and if I can just let go, then, I'll, then, um, then it'll, it'll end. We can say that intellectually, and, and sometimes, sometimes by saying it, it actually happens. And that again, that reinforces the belief that well, if I just keep thinking about it and working on it, I can figure it all out. But but the real transformation is is when when it actually comes out of our experience, when we actually open to the experience of dukkha and we see, we feel, 
We feel in our very guts that by not reacting to it, by not pushing it away, by not trying to get something, by not denying it, it changes. And we feel that. And the releasing happens. The letting go happens. And, and so, so we, we put all this emphasis on mindfulness of the body as a way of getting out of this, this habit that we have of thinking about and trying to figure out and the belief that we can figure it out. But the real profound change comes from actual experience. And, and, and I, I think we all know this too. I think we've, we've, we've seen this in our own lives where there's, there's been something that we can think about and we can think we know it. But then when we actually have some experience, you know, we can, we can think, um, You know, I just as as an example, I could I could say, you know, I I I I used to think that I I I had a sense I I could understand when when somebody had a really painful neck, and it was really you know really difficult for them, and I I could understand that I can see you know if your neck is really stiff and really painful, it's yeah it's it's not a very good thing, and it can I can understand that. But when I actually had a stiff and very painful neck from a couple of discs going, then from my experience, I really understood it. So now when somebody tells me, I've got this really sore and stiff neck, now I really know. Because it's come, the knowing has come from my experience. Not just because I studied anatomy and physiology and pathology and, and, um, and all that stuff. So it's it's the 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 transforming insights come from our experience, and so the so the first statement is that we experience dukkha. The second statement is that it's caused by craving and clinging, and the 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 understanding, the deep and profound understanding of this brings the release, which comes to the third statement, and the third statement is the release, the ending of dukkha. So it's like by 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 opening by opening to the by opening to the dukkha, we come to know the underlying cause, and by knowing the underlying cause, we can come to the ending, the underlying cause being the root of the weed. And up it comes. And we come to the third statement, which is the ending of dukkha. And um, I don't want to go on too much longer, so I'm just going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'll have to continue this talk another evening. But um, just just a word on the the third as as a, a way of ending this evening and to give a starting point for the next for the next talk, um, the third, the the ending, the ending of dukkha, the the ending of dukkha, and the um, the word in Pali, which is used to describe the ending of dukkha, is nibbana, 
N-I-B-B-A-N-A, and you're probably more familiar with the Sanskrit form, which is nirvana. The ending of dukkha, this third statement, is nirvana. It's the experiencing of, the knowing of nirvana. So when I say nirvana, probably all kinds of ideas come to you about what nirvana is. Some wonderful state of bliss, of everlasting happiness and peace and joy and um, maybe some um, maybe some out of body experience or some transcendent experience. It, um, often it brings up an idea of some state that feels just so far away. It's just totally inaccessible. All 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 these ideas about nirvana. We have the, these ideas. How many have? These, how, how many of you have these kinds of images, these kinds of thoughts come, come to you when, when you hear the word nirvana? A few? Oh, some not. Good. Good. So just, um, just, to, just to leave you with, um, with a, a statement that I think is a, is a very, very significant statement in the, um, in, in the, in the Pali in the Pali English Dictionary, there's quite a lengthy discussion of nirvana, and it goes through um, a, a list of kind of definitions. And the actual the actual literal translation of the word is extinguishing. Extinguishing. And um, what's meant by that is the extinguishing of dukkha. And the extinguishing of the underlying forces that give rise to or that create dukkha for us. And those underlying forces are greed, are listed as greed, hatred, and delusion. So wanting, wanting to get, the greed, hatred, the wanting to get rid of, and delusion is the not knowing, not understanding, not paying attention to. So it's the extinguishing of these of these three, and the very very commonly in the teachings, the the Buddha uses the image of a fire for lots of different things, and and a comment that it makes that the dictionary makes is that it's the extinguishing of these by any means other than blowing on them, <laughs> because blowing on something, some on a fire, sometimes extinguishes it, but sometimes makes it go higher. So blowing on blowing on dukkha isn't a good idea. So there are other means, and the, the main means is to remove the fuel or to stop feeding it. And this is what the letting go does. The letting go stops the feeding. And so the dukkha burns out. This is the extinguishing, and this is this is the the nibbana. Um, so it goes through these, and then there's a, the, the, the list, the, this list of things is followed by a very interesting statement. This is the statement I just want to leave you with this evening. It says, Nibbana is not a transcendent state. Nibbana is not a transcendent state. It is an ethical state. which points back to the very beginning of the teachings. 
the teachings of the ethical, the ethical foundation. Nibbana is an ethical state. And so I'll leave you with that and I'll continue next time. So let's sit together quietly for a few minutes.